rather extraordinary story we're hearing about, which is that China's been accused by a Republican Select Committee of trying to plant, in effect, spies inside the Fed uh, to try and gain um, economic advantage uh, over the US and even at one stage uh, detained a Fed economist on the, on the mainland to try and get him to disclose uh, Fed policy. What do you make of that? No, there might be some truth to these allegations. I mean, we, we despite uh, the politics of it all, the, the fact is there have been examples in recent years of uh, scholars in the United States who, who have uh, violated U.S. law, if, if, even if the violation was not reporting uh, funding that they received from a foreign government, foreign universities, in this case China. And sometimes it was a condition of, of grants that they received from U.S. government that they did have to report this, even if there was no theft of technology or, or intellectual property involved. So if this uh, occurred with, with a federal government employee, or in this case the Fed, it wouldn't be a, a surprise whether or not uh, there was substantial damage to the economic or, or, or the monetary policy of the United States. That remains to be seen. Okay, Ross, thanks very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Taking another look around Asia-Pacific stocks, the ASX 200 is up about two-thirds of a percent in Australia. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 has moved half a percent higher. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea up 0.6%. Uh, futures markets pointed to a gain of just over 100 points for the Hang Seng at the open in just under an hour's time. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for some more Money Talk. Coming up after the news, back chat with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast, fine, very hot during the day, maximum temperature of around 34 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. It's going to be very hot and sunny, uh, apart from isolated showers for the rest of this week and into early next week. The very hot weather warning is in force, 30 degrees right now, 77% relative humidity. Time's 8.32, here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The U.S. Federal Reserve has raised the benchmark interest rate by three-quarters of a percentage point and said more hikes will be needed as it battles to tamp down price pressures. It was the second straight 75 basis point increase and the fourth rate hike this year as U.S. central bankers move to cool the strongest surge in inflation in more than four decades. The chair of the Fed, Jerome Powell, warned that another unusually large rate hike could follow. Over coming months, we will be looking for compelling evidence that inflation is moving down, consistent with inflation returning to 2%. We anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate. The pace of those increases will continue to depend on the incoming data and evolving outlook for the economy. Wholesale gas prices in Europe have reached near-record highs. On the day the Russian state-controlled firm Gazprom further cut flows through a major Baltic pipeline, Nord Stream 1. They closed at 204 euros a megawatt hour, just shy of the all-time peak of 210 euros they hit in March. It's well over five times higher than the price a year ago. Analysts say surging gas prices will compound inflation, hit households, and affect industrial output. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky accused President Putin of withholding gas to provoke political and economic turmoil in Europe. It is clear to everyone that this is Russia's deliberate price terror against Europe. Using Gazprom, Moscow is doing everything to make this winter the toughest for European countries. It is necessary to respond to terror, respond with sanctions. 
One of the people who helped inspire the Green Movement, James Lovelock, has died. He was 103. The British scientist was best known for his speculative idea that Earth is as an interconnected, self-regulating system he called Gaia. Speaking to the BBC in the 1990s, James Lovelock warned that climate change could have a devastating impact on humanity. The rules of the game are very like the rules of the old goddesses. They were feminine, nurturing, and kind, and all the rest of it. But if you broke the rules, you were zapped without doubt and eliminated. And it's just the same with Gaia. Any species that adversely affects the environment will not succeed. It will be eliminated. The parent company of Facebook, Meta, has reported its first fall in revenue since the firm went public a decade ago. Meta said revenue in the second quarter declined by 1% over the previous year. The company, renamed Meta last year, is facing increased regulatory scrutiny and competition for advertising sales. Profits also plunged by a third as the firm invests billions in an immersive world of social interaction known as the metaverse. The company's products, including Instagram and WhatsApp, had almost 2.9 billion daily users in the past quarter. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Jenny Lam. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning, Jenny. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about a possible $2 plastic bag levy in future. In a new LegCo document, the government said it agrees that increasing the minimum charging level to $2 can further encourage the public to reduce the use of plastic shopping bags. It added that it op- it's open to the suggestion made by some lawmakers earlier this month to increase the minimum charging level to $2. In the same paper, the government explained that an earlier proposal for a $1 levy was made after considering the charging levels in other places such as Macau, along with public acceptability. Officials also claimed it was appropriate to adjust the charging level in a gradual manner, citing the current economic and social sentiments. After 9.15, we'll look at how the convention and exhibition industry is doing after the annual book fair recorded a slight increase in visitors this year. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, at our number is 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Admiralty studio, Dana Winograd, the co-founder and director of Plastic Free Seas. And on the line, we have Dr. Chung Shan Shan, a senior lecturer of the Baptist University's biology department. Good morning to the both of you, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, let's start with you, Ms. Winograd. Um, how would you describe the use of plastic bags by people in Hong Kong? I mean, is it normal or is it excessive? Oh, I'd say the use of single-use single plastic in general is quite excessive in Hong Kong, and that does include plastic bags. So do you, do you think that increasing um, the levy on plastic bags will have any impact? Absolutely. We saw a very um, a big change after the levy was first introduced. So it's only um, obvious that a further increase will make that change happen again. Uh, I do find that, or everyone has found over time, people get used to the 
the levy and it just becomes normal so they need a little bit of a kick to then start uh, remembering that this is an extra charge and one that they hopefully don't want to spend so they'll start bringing their own bags. Mm-hmm. Dr. Chung, how effective do you think uh, increasing the levy to two dollars will be in uh, reducing the use of plastic bags? really, uh, but uh, I agree that at the very beginning there should be uh, some effect. Uh, when we look at our experience, our past experience with the first phase of the plastic plastic bag levy in 2009, in that very year when the plastic bag levy was imposed 50, 50 cents, um, there was a drop in the total amount of plastic bag uh, being disposed in the landfill per capita and in total. But um, that figure, both figures uh, per per capita and also um, of the total uh, disposal amount of plastic bags jumped next year, uh, in the very next year, in 2010. So that uh, effect doesn't really last uh, long at all. And then afterwards, um, we didn't really see any drop, even uh, when we have the full phase um, of the uh, plastic bag levy in 2015. Right, and and then uh, in in the last uh, I shouldn't say last um, uh, f- maybe five years uh, because uh, the latest figures that uh, EPD uh, released uh, was only up to 2020. But um, in in the last five years, uh, I, I don't know what will happen uh, in 2021 and 2022. But uh, um, as far as um, the data goes, it seems that even with um, the uh, full phase uh, uh, implementation of the plastic bag levy, um, our uh, plastic bag disposal per capita and total didn't really drop, uh, but uh, is on the reverse trend um, increasing. So uh, I think there is a need um, to uh, to have another. Uh, 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 a stronger uh, to impose a stronger um, a moder- financial incentive um, to uh, get people to move away from uh, one-off plastic bags. However, however, I would like to um, uh, remind um, audience that uh, in about um, next year, half um, say mid next year, uh, the GPD is going to. Um, launch um, the municipal solar waste charge. And remember, uh, when the charge for, will, is launched, um, GPD agrees um, that uh, the designated plastic bags um, for, for our uh, that will illegally uh, uh, give us uh, the legal right to dispose of uh, waste uh, will also be, uh, can also be uh, um, uh, sold at supermarkets as shopping bags. Now, if we look at that, so this, if, if, even if we raise this um, um, shopping carrier back to $2 per bag, but um, in about uh, one year's time, uh, when the municipal solar waste charge is launched, um, the cheapest or the lowest cost bag is a three liter designated um, waste bag, which, is, which costs only 30 cents. Right, Dr. Chung, now um, lawmaker Tony Chair, who is uh, in support of a $2 bag levy, he, he says raising the minimum charging level to $2 will be able to cut plastic bag usage by 40%. So from what you're saying, um, it means um, it's not really that accurate, is it? Um, uh, I don't know based on what um, that he had that uh, um, uh, projection. Uh, but in any case, uh, let us see. Because now, if you look at the two schemes at the same time, 
say now we have the municipal solar waste charge launched. You have two choices in a supermarket or in a uh, um, department store. Either you pay $2 for totally new carrier bags that carries the name of the department store, or you pay $0.30. Cents. Mm-hmm. $0.30 cents for the designated bag um, that you can also use um, to, to, keep your, to, to contain your waste and put it out, set it out. So which one would you buy? <laughs> yes, okay. Well, I'm looking here at some uh, EPD statistics. This is about um, the amount of uh, recyclable materials uh, that have been recovered from uh, municipal solid waste. Um, but for in 2016, the amount of plastic, t- uh, this is tons per day now, we're talking about, it was less than 50 tons per day. By 2020, and this is the latest statistics they have, it's nearly 300 tons a day. Um, it, it's, isn't this a question of, of attitude, of um, you know, how people treat their plastic, rather than simply charging them more and more money? Maybe, maybe that, that uh, people are just okay with just paying $2 even. Um, but it's just a, a changing attitude that we need. What do you think, uh, Ms. Winograd? Oh, so I, I do agree that there is a, an attitude challenge here, that the um, it's not just about the money. And the, and the biggest challenge is we're only addressing one piece of um, plastic with this levy when there is so much other plastic out there. But I do think that there is messaging there, um, making people understand that there is a cost associated with plastic. It shouldn't be free. Um, the point being made, though, about the $2 versus the $0.30 cents is a very important one and may make you know the value of a levy on plastic bags really a non-issue because it's so easy to just buy the designated bag instead. So there's probably a need for you know, consideration on how those designated bags should be sold um, and a, a few other considerations. But I, there is, there does need to be more education, more awareness and um, more of an understanding on the issue of, of single-use plastic in general within the society so that people are more conscious and whether that's bags or food containers or straws or cups, it people have to really understand the impacts of this and it may be that um that the levy uh does help start that change but it's an overall shift in in mindset that we really do need yeah talking about that overall shift in mindset i was just uh uh, i just watched this video on cnn yesterday about how bali just banned the use of single-use plastic period this was start this was a campaign started by a teenager and they managed to achieve it. You know, it took them a lot of work, but they they've, they managed to achieve it. Can you tell me, Ms. Winograd, what are some of the obstacles in Hong Kong towards banning the use of single-use plastic? Well, I think the government is just very careful with those types of bans on society and business that have impacts or perceived impacts on convenience and on who, you know, personal behavior. So that's one of the bigger challenges. I think the other challenges can be overcome. You know, a, a ban ultimately is is the best option, especially if we're going to have these designated bags available for sale in the grocery stores. That seems um, 
it, there is an issue there that people will just maybe buy them and not uh, when they shouldn't be buying them. But it does beg the question, should we be looking more towards a ban if this is the way that they're they're going? And we can overcome the challenges. You know, people, there, there are concerns about people in lower economic um, sections of the of the um, society that won't be able to to have those uh, reusable bags perhaps but ultimately it costs less to have a reusable bag so if we need to supply these reusable bags to to people to make sure that they have them available to them then perhaps that's an option in the beginning but it, it again it's pushing towards that mindset and I think personally I think a ban on shopping bags on plastic thin single-use shop shopping bags would be the ultimate um, way to go. All right. Uh, I have an email here from uh, James. He says, uh, whatever the charge for plastic bags, where, I mean, where does the money from the levy go? To a fund for environmental projects, awareness and conservation, or does it go into the tycoon's pockets? If it is supposed to go to an independent or government fund for environmental initiatives, how is it administered? Are there annual reports? How is it possible to check with the various shops how many bags are used? Instead of just stick, why not carrot? A discount for those who bring their own bag. Why doesn't the government issue to all citizens an environmentally sustainable shopping bag, bag made in Hong Kong, much as they did with masks, etc., for COVID? And uh, that email is from James. So, Dr. Chung, do you think a, a part of the problem with this levy scheme is that the uh, retailers get to keep the levy from the plastic shopping bag scheme? Well, it could be because um, as uh, some uh, audience has already exp- expressed their uh, views that um, they would like to see the levy to go for uh, good causes, environmental good causes, not um, uh, into the pocket of um, the merchant. Um, if if you, you hold that view, um, obviously you will be very against um, the levy. However, if you are against the levy, that, that's, that's good. That means you will bring your own bag, right? So um, to me, um, I, I actually, of course, uh, if um, the levy uh, has a designated earmark use um, for environmental good causes, uh, I will definitely support it. But uh, I think the current uh, arrangement um, that uh, um, the merchants can can do whatever they would they want, uh, or, and, I, and I know that some um, uh, big retailers um, they do uh, publish in their reports uh, saying that uh, they have used that uh, amount of money um, for. Uh, environmental programs uh, within their company or things like that. Um, <clears throat> but the issue is that um, uh, it is mainly because um, if you need, a, you, you get that back, that you pay the levy. Um, the point, the very point is that you don't buy the, those bags. All right. So we, we shouldn't focus be too much uh, focusing too much um, on the use of the levy and also the reporting, the auditing uh, can incur um, high administrative costs, especially when you look at there are so many merchants. Some of them are, uh, are, don't don't even have a proper accounting system. So what? How how can you monitor uh, whether or not they are they are they are uh, properly uh, using the levy and then transfer to the government as tax? All right. So um, 
if the administrative cost is so prohibitively high, um, I would rather that we focus all the efforts on changing people's behavior and mindset, which I totally agree, um, uh, as uh, the other um, um, guests uh, has, has been saying. Yes, so, so that's me, Jenny. <laughs> Are you, so you with the task force on campus sustainability. Can you, can you ex tell us a little bit about how you try to change the students' attitude not to use so much plastic then? Um, I change, um, I, I don't think I, I will kind of change their attitude because I teach environmental uh, management in, in, in university. So whatever I teach, I basically, uh, I'm telling them the whole story, why we are going to do that. If we don't do that, that will be the consequence. Um, I remember, um, I mean, it's, it's the news uh, about uh, James Lovelock. I also teach um, the Gaia hypothesis in my class. So I, I frankly tell the students, I mean, we, if we respect the earth, uh, we, will have, we will have a place on earth. If we don't, we will soon be right out, as, as simple as that. So it's, it's your choice. So um, I wouldn't say all of them um, uh, uh, get that message. Uh, uh, maybe they all get the message, but whether or not after getting the message, they will still uh, be able to sacrifice to make the change. Now, remember, it's not just making the change, but by making the change, someone, everyone has to sacrifice, make sacrifice. So it's, it's again, a matter of cost and benefit uh, at your own balance sheet. Um, I, I don't really have a, a, a silver bullet uh, to, <laughs> to change uh, students' behavior. All right. when, when you say sacrifice, you mean, you mean carry a reusable bag? What, what do you mean by sacrifice? Um, now, uh, for uh, plastic bags, it's uh, relatively easy. I have to bring my own bag, all right? Uh, sometimes I forget. I, I do. I did sometimes. Yes, so, so do I. I, 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 just, I, I just give up uh, or I just hold the, the, uh, the, the merchandise um, by hand if I can. If not, then I will go back home and um, take another shopping trip. So that's also a sacrifice, a time sacrifice, inconvenient sacrifice. All right, this is for plastic bags, and I'm talking about, and we have been talking about one of uh, one use uh, single use plastics. All right, you, you just mentioned single use plastics. If we are going to eliminate single use plastics, the amount of sacrifice is even bigger. All right, so you, you just said earlier, Dr. Chung, you're talking about educating students. I'm, I'm sure that's a, a lot easier than educating, for example, retailers and staff and customers. And some of these customers that we're talking about maybe elderly people. How should we approach uh, 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 this uh, education for, for, for uh, these people? Well, um, I think this is really, really very, very tough because uh, they all have their own concerns. The elderly people, they may think that, uh, oh, I, I don't understand all these. Uh, I've been doing this uh, for 70 years. Why should I change? And um, the, the businesses say it, it, it's even harder <laughs> to, to convince them that they should make a change uh, because um, they may have uh, they may have um, their sales down or they may uh, um, uh, offend customers. All right, so they all, all everyone have their own reasons um, not to uh, 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 go for the sustainability course. Uh, so I don't have the silver bullet, as I said. Um, and even education can can mean very different things um, to different people. Uh, how should you educate uh, an elderly person, all right? 
I, I, I don't really have a clue. Um, I, my, my old father, mother, although they, they, they have passed away, but before, before, when they were still here, there, here, uh, alive, uh, I can't even convince them, <laughs> um, to, to not to switch on air conditioners, uh, in hot summer days or in, in, in le- relatively hot, uh, less hot summer days. So, um, I really don't uh, have the solution, but uh, I guess uh, we, we, we have to do whatever we can. Right. I have an email here. It's from David. He says, uh, I'm against the levy because uh, you just you have to just push up uh, the price of all dustbin liners. So it's another big mess. And uh, John here, he says, uh, plastic bags, and that is a tiny portion of the single-use plastic problem here in Hong Kong and globally. And uh, that was what uh, Ms. Winograd was uh, saying earlier. Um, so, uh, Dr. Chung, what do, what do you think of uh, uh, David's comment? He says, uh, you know, he's against the levy. Um, in that case, uh, then he has to uh, wait until the municipal solar is charged um, to be introduced. Uh, by then, the, the charge will be uh, 0.3, so 30 cents only per bag of 3 liters. So that will be a, a lot lower. So it will not be $2 to 9 your uh, dustbin. Okay, uh, Dana, you know, isn't it part of the problem that we just don't, we make recycling so difficult in the city? Um, I go past my village every day and I see the re- recycling bin basically full to the brim. I live in a place where a lot of people want to recycle. In fact, I personally pay to recycle. Isn't it the problem that the recycling is just not happening? Well, recycling, I'm not sure what you mean by recycling isn't happening. There is recycling happening in Hong Kong. It's not, um, it's, it's changed a lot over the that past few years. That is very difficult. It is more, so. it is, uh, it is difficult. There's different avenues for recycling. There are street bins, there are community pop-up, green center pop-ups, there's facilities, they take different things. It's very confusing for the customer. Uh, Definitely agree with you from that point of view. Um, But we always have to remember that recycling is not the answer. We need to reduce first. So that's always something that I like I like to mention if I could just pop back to the education uh, our focus is education on plastic in particular and plastic free seas and yes uh, it whilst it may be difficult to change the views of of the elderly although I do feel that you know the elderly come from a time when you didn't waste plastic bags so I think there's two sides to that there's the you know the convenience and getting them to change but there's also a lot of older people out there who do not waste things who bring that bag every time and I think that's a an excellent educational opportunity for families if the else so if we could tap into the elderly who who are of that mindset to to share that more with their families but plastic free seas focuses on young people so we do education in from kindergarten all the way up to master's levels in university but we believe that we need to to educate create these habits from a very young age and that is going to be a good way we've seen it we've seen children go home with the information that we've taught them and talk to their parents about it and we've seen change happen and when we take people to the beach to do a beach cleanup and they see the number of plastic bags they see it for themselves these sort of of um, events and Im- really have a huge impact on people's behavior change. So actually seeing it can can really make people change their behavior, not just hearing about it, not just being charged something extra, but really seeing the, the effects of the problem for themselves. Now, again, 
how long does that last? It's different for different people. Convenience is a huge factor there. And that sacrifice that was mentioned earlier, you know, not not buying something when you meant to because you didn't have your bag or not getting that takeaway lunch because you forgot your, your reusable container is often too much of a sacrifice for a lot of people. But through education and awareness, we're hoping that people will realize that it's that it's worth it it's not really a sacrifice at all we shouldn't even be using that word as a sacrifice um and a love for the environment earlier it was mentioned you know nature loving nature understanding what what we're doing to our world we need to get people in hong kong out and and valuing our oceans our natural environment so that they understand why it's so important to reduce yeah, I totally uh, agree with you that we have elderly people who actually save their plastic bags. In fact, you know, I've seen old people who save their aluminium foil and yeah. reuse them. Isn't that pr the problem here is actually the the businesses? You go into a bread shop, when you buy a bun, they seem, seem to have to put it in two, maybe three plastic bags. If the education shouldn't that be on the uh, on businesses rather than specific age groups? Well, only you do the age, you know, children and elderly people. But what is actually being done in Hong Kong um, in terms of sort of changing the mindsets of of businesses? Do you know? Well, that is where the the levy and the enforcement of a levy comes in because it's too easy for a person at the till to say, you know, not to have to argue with somebody about being given a bag if there's no enforcement of a levy. But if there's a strong levy, a strong, whatever it is, a ban, a levy, you can't, you know, you, you have to pay for that bag, then people, um, then it makes it easier, actually, for these stores to have to follow the rules. Miss Winograd, I'm afraid I have to stop you there for a moment, but yeah. we can continue after the news. <laughs> but, uh, of course, uh, um, we'll have to take a break for the news right now. And, uh, um, of course, uh, you'll be staying with us and we'll be joined by Silei Shan from the Society for Community Organization after the news. And, uh, Dr. Chung, um, thank you again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Chung Shan Shan, a senior lecturer of the Baptist University's Biology Department. And uh, now a quick look at the weather. It will be fine and very hot. The very hot weather warning is in force. Highs expected today of around 34 degrees in the urban areas. Winds light to moderate southwesterlies and the outlook staying hot and sunny in the next couple of days. Right now it's 30 degrees, relative humidity 78%. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're talking about a possible $2 plastic bag levy in future. After the government said in LegCo in a LegCo document that it's open to suggestions to increase the minimum charging level to $2. Still with us on the program is Dana Winograd, the co-founder and director of Plastic Free Seas. And joining us now is Asilai Shan, the deputy director of the Society for Community Organization. Good morning, Missy. Morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. And uh, just before the news, Miss Winograd, uh, you were telling us about how we can uh, do more to educate retailers. And uh, unfortunately, I had to cut you off because of the news. Um, so, so please continue. What, what more can we do to educate retailers? Well, I do. I, I think I was saying that the implementation of uh, enforcement of a levy is going to be key. Yes, we need to to educate them, but it's a general um, societal education that we need. I don't. It's it's that attitude that we're talking about. It doesn't matter whether you're um, a shop owner. Uh, 
top executive, a retail um, salesperson. It's that mentality that we shouldn't just be giving away these bags. And the only way that we're going to get this, um, or it's not the only way, but a, a good way is through strong enforcement of the levy. And uh, how well do you think uh, um, the EPT has been doing in, 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 in uh, enforcement of this levy? I'm I'm not familiar with how many fines or what the fine setup is for this, but I have seen for myself a lot of bags just being given and even, you know, um, bags being kept at the checkout, the, the self-checkout counter, the, the flat top bags for people to use at their at their leisure. So it's there. There is not a great enforcement from my point of view. So, Sheila Shan, at, at the community level, if we charge more for plastic bags, what are some of the uh, difficulties this may pose to small shops or even, you know, street vendors? Uh, I think for, for those uh, underprivileged, of course, there will be a burden for them. And um, as I know, most of them, they would uh, bring their re, uh, reused bag to go to shop. But sometimes uh, for elderly or some people, they forgot and then they, they will need to pay for that. So um, for, for, for those low-income people, uh, two dollars as rich would be a, a heavy burden for them. Because now is everything is raised the, the price and the, the charge, and, and so they feel just feel so frustrated because they, they, they need to pay so many things and so even to affect their daily uh, meals. Yeah, but what I'm thinking is, um, you know, for in your wet markets, for example, when you buy something, they you, when you buy five oranges, they always put it into a plastic bag. At a community level, do, do, you, do you feel that it, it poses A, problems for small vendors and B, the people who... who 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 buy the um, oranges and basically can't afford a bag? Yeah, I think I think if the government they can uh, give some reuse bag to them, they will be easier for them, and so they can they can have some substitute, so they they can save the cost. And uh, because sometimes there may be a few people in the family and they don't have much reuse bag to 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 bring to to go to shop. What about what about this? Uh, earlier, we had uh, Dr. Chung from Baptist University who explained that you know, in the, from the middle of next year, uh, we are going to have to pay for um, garbage bags. You know, they're, they're going to be thirty cents a piece. What's the impact on that on on people at the grassroots level? Definitely, will be uh, have uh, increased the, the burden. Um, so everything put a charge on that. You can imagine actually many of them they are still unemployed or their welfare uh, is very uh, low. So I think the government they should give some subsidy for them. Yeah. So so um, with with uh, Dana Winograd, we're talking about the need to educate people at all different levels of society. What do you think can be done to to help? people um, in the grassroots level to understand that, you know, it, it doesn't have to incur extra expenses. You can just recycle this stuff. That was I think a- the, 
that was a point I was just going to make is when we were talking about educating, um, making sure that they understand that there isn't going to be a charge for recycling. But back to your comments about it being difficult to recycle in Hong Kong, be- there's a, a, a lack of understanding of what can be recycled and what can't be recycled. So from that point of view, there's going to need to be a huge amount of education and awareness from the government. Um, and also from organizations like my own, once we understand it from the government, you know, very clear guidelines on what can be recycled, what can't be recycled, and then that can help inform people's purchases. If you're going to buy something, you're going to choose, hopefully choose the packaging that is is recyclable, not the non-recyclable one, because you know you don't, you, you are able to dispose of it um, properly through recycling and not get charged. So that's back to that... Uh, more clear guidelines and a better understanding of recycling here in Hong Kong to make this um, municipal solid waste charge work to the, to its best advantage. And I would say it's not just about uh, knowing what can be cycle, recycled or what cannot be recycled. It's, uh, it's quite often it's about uh, what you do with the uh, product you want to recycle. I mean, I, I walk around, I see a bottle, like maybe a Coke bottle, and it's still got Coke inside. You know, people don't rinse it out. I mean, that, that also uh, needs to be, a, I mean, people also needs to be educated about that too, right, Ms. Winograd? Oh, yeah, definitely. The, the whole concept of clean recycling and things like, you know, you don't actually have to wash that Coke bottle, but you do need to to make sure that all the contents are gone from it. Whereas if you're going to recycle a peanut butter jar, you'd be best to make sure that the, most of the peanut butter has been, been rinsed out of that jar. So there is still a lot of, of better understanding on how to handle the recyclables. And then, of course, it's not just about what is recyclable and what isn't recyclable, but it's about avoidance as well. So finding things that don't actually have the packaging on them. Hopefully we'll get even more opportunities to buy things loose. People will maybe go more to the wet markets now where they, they don't have to buy things in, in, in packaging as well. All right, I have a few emails and comments here. Maybe Ms. Winograd, you can uh, help answer some of them. Um, this one is from David. He says, uh, you seem to have completely missed the point. You have the wealthy who normally drive cars and don't care about the extra $2 and dump it all over the new territories and countryside. Can anybody tell me how much of the existing levy actually goes into recycle machines and uh, actually stop the manufacture of plastic bags and putting some substitute out there. It also costs more money to make these reusable bags. And uh, that's from David. I have another message here from John. He says, what? The guest said the shopkeeper keeps the shopping bag levy and spends the cash any way they wish. So encouraging shopkeepers to sell more plastic bags. And uh, another message here says, uh, don't have plastic bags available at all. So, uh, Ms. Winograd, any comments on that? So, uh, I think I'm just trying to think back to the first comment. Um, of course, yes, there there are people who the cost is not going to make any difference whatsoever. But it is amazing. I look in my own grocery store. You know, it's 50 cents at the moment, and it's been that for since 2009. People have changed their behavior. People who don't have to worry about the 50 cents. Uh, some It will make a difference for some people. And it's, again, through messaging. And, you know, we're not going to be effective for absolutely everyone. Now, the comments about where is that money going to, well, we, we've said it. It's not going to 
make changes in the system is it, it is being kept by the by the grocery stores and at their choice it can be given to organizations who who are maybe doing work in this area but there's no legislation for that so that could be something that that could be looked at but again it's been brought up the the amount of uh, paperwork and red tape and and uh, cost to administer giving that money back to the government may really outweigh the benefits of of having that uh, done and uh I can't remember what the last the last comment, comment was. was uh, it was a suggestion saying, uh, "Why don't we just not have any plastic bags available at all?" Well, that is um, th- that's what I mentioned earlier. You know, there are alternatives. There really isn't a need to have those thin, single-use, disposable plastic bags made available. So that ultimately is is definitely is the best option. Yeah. So, Sila Shan, do you agree with Dana Winograd, who I mean, Dana mentioned earlier that there's just a, not enough education on on consumer habits, what can be recycled and what cannot be recycled. Do you think that that is true for for the people you come across in the community that they just need to understand if I buy this product, it can be recycled, but the other one cannot? I don't know. I think if if for those uh, plastic bags, most of our kind, they already know. They they know very well um, not to use a plastic bags because it's not good for environment. And but of course, more other uh, 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 knowledge about uh, environmental um, things. Um, I think they would they would need to cooperate more about with NGOs or those. people uh they even the students yeah but another thing is that they still something they need to use for example they, they use the, some bed to 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 uh, bring with their goods or products this kind of thing how they can uh use uh, reuse the beds and and where to buy and they have to save costs they, they also need. and besides them uh the rubbish uh um, if they need to buy the rubbish bed um that is a problem for them. Sometimes, besides, some even in our in, on the street uh, or, and we don't have much on this kind of uh, category. Which, uh, how to uh, put the rubbish inside? Of, uh, even we don't we don't have this kind of type of uh, uh, only one. We only have one one uh, garbage uh, can. So this is uh, half of for the people to to do that. Right. I have another email here. It's from David. He says, uh, we, the poor, go to the supermarket with a spare plastic bag in our pocket. And uh, we, the poor, we also use a plastic bag to put in a garbage bin so we don't have to buy bin liners. Um, Ms. Winograd, uh, what advice do you have for um, low-income families? Well, it is possible to use a lot of the packaging that you get for your bin liner. You know, we... uh, we use the bag that the toilet paper comes in to, to line our bins. Um, we use big rice bags to put our rubbish bin in. If, if we can just think a bit outside of the box and look at the waste that we are creating and how we could actually use that instead of uh, having to, to line our bins with specific bags. Of course, 
that's going to change when the the municipal waste charge starts. We're going to have to use designated bags. But for now, uh, there's lots of opportunity in the things that we, we generally have um, with our purchases that we could be using. And if you keep the wet waste separate, you actually don't have to line the bag at all. And you could just take your rubbish from your bin and dump it into the into the rubbish bin, say, on your floor. So you wouldn't have to line it at all. It's it's harder when you have wet waste, but for dry waste, there there really isn't a need for a, a bin liner. Yeah. So you know, beyond plastic bags, Silaishan, you know, I'm I'm thinking of of people at a you know um, who the typical Hong Kong lunch. If you're a construction worker, it consists of a styrofoam box and and some some plastic forks and knives. Now, when when we simply ask people, you know, you need to recycle everything. What are some of the challenges you see for for low income earners? I mean, is it practicable to just say you've got to bring your own plastic box in order not to use a styrofoam box for lunch? What are some of the challenges? Yeah, um, I think they, they, they need to uh, uh, buy all these uh, 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 equipment, those box, those bags. So this is a kind of expenditure. And uh, we can see some of them, they are actually, they try their best to, to use it. Here. And, but, but you know, sometimes family, they have many members, and then some of them, they they, not, they, they cannot use forever. They, you need to see we will will will. will and then you need to use another one. So this is a kind of expenditure uh, for those uh, low-income family, and, and if they have a subsidy for them, they will be better. All right, so Ms. C, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Silei San, the uh, Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organization. Also, many thanks to Dana Winograd, Co-Founder and Director of Plastic Free Seas. It's now 17 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to turn to our second topic today about the convention and exhibition industry. And uh, before I introduce our next guest, Jenny, did you check out the book fair over the weekend, or are you waiting for the Annie Common Games Fair that's starting tomorrow? I have I have not been to those because I read many of my books on a Kindle. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that I, I checked out the book fair on Saturday, and it was uh, pretty packed when I was there. And uh, of course, later on, I found out that there were actually more visitors uh, at this year's book fair than a year ago. But then uh, I'm not really sure what the overall situation is like for the whole convention and uh, exhibition industry. So um, to find out exactly how well it's doing, we now have on the program Wendy Lai, the Executive Vice Chairman of the Hong Kong Exhibition and Convention Industry Association. Good morning, Ms. Lai. Good morning. And uh, thanks for joining us on the program. So are things improving in your industry? Um, well, as you said, uh, as you have been to the book fair uh, recently, yeah. it is true that some local public shows have been held in Hong Kong this year. Um, however, it does not mean that the sector has returned. Uh, there is a clear difference between local consumer retail shows like the book fair that you just mentioned and also, for example, like food expo versus international trade exhibitions. The exhibition sector used to contribute like 58.6 billion Hong Kong dollars economic impact to Hong Kong's economy before the pandemic. 
vast majority of which is generated by international trade exhibitions with millions of international travelers drawn to Hong Kong, either to visit those exhibitions or to exhibit in those trade exhibitions. Their traveling, their hotel stay, F&B spend, retail spend, all contributed significantly to the economy of Hong Kong and to support our local employment. And not to mention the global business connections and large volume purchase orders generated for our very own Hong Kong SMEs through these international trade exhibitions in Hong Kong. Now, these international trade exhibitions have not been able to resume since January 2020 when the quarantine restrictions first came into effect. We do see there are more local consumer shows, like they are like short-term retail bazaars, but it doesn't really help with maintaining Hong Kong's long-standing position of trade fair capital of Asia, being the destination of international trade exhibitions, bridging global business communities. So back to your question, you know, is it a positive sign? We would say no. I would say no. Right. I have a message here from a listener, Richard. He says, I would hazard a guess that the convention and exhibition industry is not doing very well at all. Would an international visitor come to a three-day convention or exhibition when they have to do seven days of quarantine? And that's assuming they can find a flight or a designated quarantine hotel. And uh, that message is from Richard. So I guess uh, that's uh, what you've been trying to tell us too, right? Well, that's exactly the case. So um, we've done um, a recent survey with um, some um, international visitors that used to come to Hong Kong to visit international trade shows here. And we asked them about, you know, the the tolerance of this quarantine arrangement. And it's said to to report that um, two-thirds of them said that they are not willing to come as long as there is any quarantine period and another like 20 something percent of of them say well they may consider if the quarantine period is down to one to two days so you can see that um how impactful of the quarantine arrangement of hong kong is impacting you know the appetite of international business travelers to come to hong kong yeah, so the quarantine aside, I mean, you know, the government recently has, has been talking about reducing some of those quarantine days. Um, in order to bring back the exhibition industry, quarantine aside, what more needs to be done in order to revive it, to revive um, the industry? Well, we would say that relaxing the border restrictions is definitely the first step, um, because with the border restriction, actually there are a lot of additional issues stem from those um, quarantine period, like um, limited flight schedule, you know, potential flight schedule changes, everything. So um, we believe that relaxing the border restriction, um, lower down or even eliminating the quarantine period is the very important first step. And the other one would be of course, for the industry to revive, we would like to see some kind of governmental support and subsidy scheme given to um, attract more international exhibitions to come to Hong Kong or even to retain 
some of the most important and economically significant international trade shows here in Hong Kong. We do see that some of these shows are getting impatient, and some of them have moved to other Asian countries temporarily this year. And we also see that some of the very important international trade shows have moved um, for long term to other Asian countries recently. So apart from the um, quarantine period uh, adjustment and also relaxing the border restrictions, um, some kind of governmental subsidy and support to bring new international trade shows into Hong Kong and to retain some of those important and large-scale international uh, trade shows that are recurrent in Hong Kong are also very important. Which one is the largest uh, international trade show that uh, is usually in Hong Kong? Well, there are many, actually. Um, for example, like, uh, we have some of the very large and well-known jewelry shows in Hong Kong annually. We have also very unique and in mega scale sourcing events every year in April and October. Basically, every year, April and October, before the pandemic, you will see that the Hong Kong CEC is full house um, with regional exhibitors, with international visitors, you know, international buyers come to Hong Kong to source uh, consumer products from Asian suppliers and traders. And basically, all of those are gone now. Yeah, so many of these exhibitors are, are actually from, or, or they used to be from mainland China. Now, you talked about some of these trade fairs moving onto other parts of Southeast Asia. What is the impact on these mainland exhibitors since they can't travel in and out of China anyway? Um, of course, their business would be largely impacted um, because trade fairs, international trade shows, is a very important channel for them to build new buyer base and also to generate large scale, uh, large volume purchase orders. So um, my company um, itself organized large scale sourcing events in Hong Kong. You know, usually international buyers came to Hong Kong, attend all these trade shows, and they place orders in containers. So without all these export marketing channels, the most important um, uh, exhibitions that are held in Hong Kong, they will lose all these opportunities to get new orders and also to get new buyers internationally. Over the past couple of years, some of these um, trade shows, you know, the TDC, for example, tried to hold them virtually. Were they any use, these virtual conferences? Um, I think it would help in some sense, you know, um, reaching the still engaging the international buyer community with the suppliers here and uh, also to engage them, to keep the relationship, maybe to get some new leads. But trade show is very important in the sense that you can see uh, and feel and test the real product. So uh, while virtual is a, a channel to keep engaging both sides, 
um, exhibitions are still very, very important for people to see new products, um, to find new suppliers, and of course, to test, feel, and also to try some of these new products in the market. What about the local exhibition and convention situation? How is that doing? Uh, I think for Hong Kong itself, uh, especially in the past two years under the current you know, pandemic situation and all the border restrictions, we are seeing that there are more consumer exhibitions in Hong Kong coming up. And, um, but we would say that this kind of swing should be short term. And of course, the other thing is, it's not going to contribute and also help to improve the economy of Hong Kong per se, especially in the international business arena. So you mentioned some of these trade fairs, they've, they've now moved on to other parts of Southeast Asia. Which, which, which countries in particular have gained from our losses? Well, from what we know, um, Singapore uh, is kind of one of the, the, the winners in this situation and they won over um, quite a couple of high-profile international exhibitions. And also Bangkok is the other one. You know, the characteristic of both of these countries is that they are now allowing international travelers to enter the country quarantine-free. So, yeah, so quarantine, you know, anything COVID-related aside, what other incentives can the Hong Kong government give to to the trade fair industry? Is, is there anything that can be done that's not COVID-related? Well, um, no? creating, <laughs> some kind of, creating some kind of new subsidy program that are targeting international exhibitions would be very, very helpful. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, um, the, the, the past two years, the government has been... Um, has uh, champion a subsidy scheme uh, called CEISS, so to subsidize uh, event organizers to get venue free space, uh, to get um, uh, free venue space at two of the major exhibition centers in Hong Kong, uh, namely the Hong Kong Convention and Exhibition Center and also the Asia World Expo. Um, but the past two years, these subsidies is I would say that um, only the local consumer shows uh, are taking advantage or uh, can use this subsidy. So moving forward, if we want to target international exhibitions, to resume international exhibitions in Hong Kong, then a subsidy scheme that is very, very focused and very centric on international trade exhibitions is needed. All right, uh, Ms. Lai, we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Wendy Lai, the Executive Vice Chairman of the Hong Kong Exhibition and Convention Industry Association. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed Backchat today and to my co-host Jenny Lam and my producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather. It will be very hot and sunny. The very hot weather warning is enforced and the top temperature today will be around 34 degrees in the urban areas. Winds light to moderate southwesterlies. At the moment, the temperature reading at the observatory is 30 degrees. Relative humidity, 77%. Take a happy ride with Joyo Card.